Will he find faith in the earth? I, I'm, I'd like to answer that question tonight. I, I just really do want to answer that question because I think it's an important question. Let's turn to St. John chapter 21 and look at, at a few verses here that I think will help us. I'm sorry, I already have something messed up here. Acts chapter 1. Beginning to read in verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in, Judea, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This saying, Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall go up in like manner as you have seen him go. What a word. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. But here the disciples they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They were bosom friends. And they had gone through a tremendously difficult time in just that last, those last, those last days with Jesus. And especially during the time of the crucifixion, they were, there was the roller coaster of having him die and them trying to figure out what was going on. And all of a sudden, three days later, he's resurrected again. And they're trying to work through that, and he comes up into the room with them, and he says, oh. they're like scared. And he says, peace be unto you. And they still can hardly believe it's him, and Thomas wasn't there. And he says, when he does find out about it, he said, I won't believe it until I put my hands into his, into his wounds and into his side. I won't believe it. And so, thank you, brother. And so we have, there you have it. They were just in a terrible roller coaster. Now all of a sudden, Jesus is taking him to, on, on a walk outside the city. And all of a sudden, he tells them, it is not for you they'd ask him, wilt thou again restore unto us the kingdom of Israel? You know, they were still looking for that kingdom. Somehow that thing was still hanging in their mind. I'm going to make a bold statement here tonight. And some of you, well, I'm going to leave anyway. But if you and I are looking at national Israel tonight, we are in the Old Testament. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Because the New Testament Israel is the church. It is the church. 
It is God's people. And Israel is coming to the kingdom today just as you and I will come by the way of the cross. And I feel very strongly about that. And so I, I'm saying this tonight. It's not in my notes. Well, okay. Leave that. Here are the disciples. They said, well, will you restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own power. There are some things you should know, but there are some things that are only for him to know. And if he's put it into his own power, I'm not going to tell you you're not supposed to know. There are certain things that we, you and I, are not supposed to know about the coming of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that we are intended to know, and we want to enlarge on some of those tonight. But those things that we are not to know, we're going to leave them untouched. But he said, you shall receive power. My friends, nowhere in Scripture does it tell you, or tell me, to call for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Check me out, will you please? I don't think it does. But it tells me to yield myself and to live in the Spirit. And if I yield myself and live in the Spirit, the power comes. But the enamoration that many have to call on the power of the Spirit as if it was a special something for us to do, I don't believe is biblical. The Scriptures are calling us to a life of obedience. And if you and I have a life of obedience, we will have the promise that Jesus gave to His disciples. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the Holy Ghost comes when we have received salvation by the blood of the Lamb. The parcel of the Holy Ghost comes with the package. And I feel very strongly about that. And therefore, I have a problem when there's a calling down, so to speak, of, yes, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask God for the anointing, but I'm not asking Him for it in that way. I'm saying, Lord, help me to be yielded to you to be a vessel through which you can flow. Help me to be a clean vessel. And you and I, if we look into our lives, keep our lives clean and holy before Him, the power will be there. And Jesus promised it. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the power will be there if we have the vessel clean before Him. When He had spoken these things, while they beheld Him, He was taken up out of their sight. My friends, that must have been some feeling. So here we go again. Here he goes. Go back to Jerusalem. Wait. Don't even go preach. Go back to Jerusalem and wait until the promised Holy Spirit comes. The ministry of man is basically ineffective without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised them that if they go and wait, the promise of the Messiah of the, of the Holy Spirit is coming, going to come. Why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus is going to come again as you have seen him going. How did they see him going? 
The Bible says that a cloud received him out of their sight. I believe it's biblical for us to look for him to return in the clouds. In fact, Revelation refers to that, that he's going to return in the clouds or with the clouds. Well, let's just move on a little bit into a scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We're going to look at Matthew 24, 25 a bit here and some other scriptures. But the big question is, will he find faith on the earth? What does that mean? Jesus is going to come again, and it's important for us to remember that. But in verse 30 of chapter 24, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth born. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not only is he going to come in the clouds, he's going to come with power and great glory. How did he come the first time? The first time he came as a babe. The first time he came in that little manger, he was laid in the manger, he was out there in that secluded spot. The second time he is coming, he is coming with power and great glory. And the Bible tells us every eye is going to see him, every knee is going to bow. There's no one going to miss the event. When he came the first time, there were many that missed the event. When he comes the second time, no one is going to miss the event. He's going to come with power and great glory. Verse 31, and he shall send his angels with a sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. This is one of the noisiest verses in the scriptures. There's going to be the noise of a great trumpet. A noisier scripture is found in Thessalonians where he says he's going to come and the trump of God is going to sound. The two noisiest scriptures in the whole world, in, in the whole scripture are there. He's going to return with the trumpet. The sound of a trumpet is going. No one's going to miss it. It's going to wake the dead. My friends, when I think of that, that's tremendous to think about. So what? else can we learn from the scriptures about his second return? No man knows the day or the hour. Let's look in verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. My Father only. No man knows when Jesus is going to return. There have been many that have predicted, speculated when Jesus might return. While we do well to look for his return, and we're going to see more of that later, it is not for us to know the day nor the hour. You can know without a doubt that when someone predicts the date and the hour of Christ's return, that person is a false prophet. And the Bible tells us there are going to be many false prophets at the end of the world. And so we need to be aware that we don't fall after and follow after false prophets. But let's go on in verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be 
at the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Does that make you think of something? They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Anything wrong with that? I don't think so. We eat, we drink, and marriage is a biblical thing. So what was the problem? The problem was that they were so involved in that that they forgot that there's a flood coming. He says, they knew not. They knew not. Until the flood came, took them all away. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Why didn't they know? The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We're not told what his message was. We're not told how intense he was. But it's obvious by this scripture that those who would have wanted to know could have known. Why didn't they know? It was because they were involved in the busyness of life, the eating and the drinking and the giving in marriage, etc. As I look at it, is that they were going on with life, planning their own thing without regard to what God had said, there's going to be a flood coming. And I believe today that if there's going to be faith on the earth at the coming of Jesus Christ, it's only going to be those who are, while they are busy in life, they're also looking for the return of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart tonight. While we are busy in life, let's not be so busy that we forget that Jesus is coming again. He says, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Then shall two be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know neither th not what hour your Lord doth come. I could ask this question. It could be a little bit of a trick question. Who's going to be taken and who's going to be left? That could be a discussion, and we could search the Scriptures and go here and there on that. I'm not going to even give you a thought on that. But I challenge you to search it out. It may not be what you think. Dig into the word. Who's going to be taken and who's going to be left? Drop that for now. Turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning to read in verse 1. This know also that in the last day perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce makers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, 
lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof from such turn away. The Bible tells us that there is going to be perilous times. And tonight, I submit to you that we are living in those perilous times. I'm going to just pull three things out of this passage that prove that to me, and I think it will prove it to you. He speaks here of the issue, men shall be lovers of their own selves. I don't know what a time has been when it has been so evident that people are into themselves. We're living in the selfie generation. There are so many words that start with self that we are enamored with. Self-worth. Just self, self, self. It's called the selfie stuff. We could say it that way. So we have the enamoration with self. In a day when we have so much wealth at our disposal, what percent of what we have do we spend on ourselves? What percent of what we have is available with an open hand to the needs of others? It says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covenants goes right with that. And then you have disobedient to parent without that. But we drop down into to another one here that I want to pick up. Just because there's not time, we're not going to go into a lot of lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what. You see, walking with Christ is a walk of self-discipline. Discipline is a bad word to the flesh. Discipline is a bad word to the flesh. And so lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Everybody likes to have fun. I like to have fun. You like to have fun. Unless you're very unusual. We all like to have fun. That's not bad. But do we love our fun more than our God? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So I challenge us with that thought. But now there's another one here. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. This one grabs me. We have our form of modesty, nonconformity, and that's good. And that's right. But I hope it's more than a form. I hope it's become a way of life in which we do not only do what we do because that's what the church says we ought to do, but because we have sensed a need in our own heart to remind us that we are of a different country and a different nation. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I'll tell you what's been happening today and has concerned me terrifically. 
We have more and more people that are saying those forms are empty. We don't need them. And they're dropping it. And as they drop those forms, something begins to happen that makes me feel almost bashful around them. They become very, very bold in a verbal testimony. Yeah. They say, we don't need those forms. We don't need all that discipline for the brotherhood and all of that stuff. We can throw that stuff away. Let everybody do what they want to do. And the more they go that way, they begin to really have a testimony. They get really on fire. I mean, you can, they can really praise. They can really pour it on. But there's an issue. They drop the obedience. Let me ask you something. Does obedience matter? You will never be more obedient or more yielded to Christ then you are obedient. And I believe that one of the things that is pulling people away, deceiving people away, is when there is a tremendous verbal testimony, but then there is not the obedience and the life to back it up. And that can be terribly confusing and deceptive. We need both, my friends. We need both. We don't ever need the discipline as much for those out there as we do for ourselves. Why was the priest to wear that garment with the bell around and he had the the ribbon of blue and all of that? Why did he have that? It was to remind himself that he was set apart and separated. And that's why there needs to be some form where we hold to remind us that we are not of this world, but we are of another world. Will he find faith on the we're not here to simply glorify form tonight. But I'm going to tell you right now, there needs to be form. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He's not talking about throwing out the form. He's saying just have the power of it as well. Have the two working together. Obedience needs to go with the package. Obedience to the will and walk and will uh, and, and laws of God. Those are the issues that you and I need to have in our mind clearly. Move on to another scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning to read in verse 3. 
Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, speaking of the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of one thing. Now, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that any that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent of him that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. What a passage. We have it here. Last days, there's going to be scoffers coming. Watch out for the scoffers. They're going to be there. They are here. Those who scoff at the scriptures. Those who say it's just an old book. Those who say, ah, We've heard that for years, and it hasn't happened. My friends, today, the scriptures are clear. Watch out for the scoffers. And then there are those who know about the flood, and they think they just ascribe it to some kind of fairy tale. Oh, some kind of, yeah, it says that in the book. Where's your proof? The Bible tells us, as the word of the flood was there and it happened. The word of the fire is here and it's going to happen. There's going to be a day when God is going to melt the elements of this world with fervent heat. There was a day when men said there is no such thing as the elements melting. But with the coming of the atomic bomb, there was a heat that melted even the very elements. That only confirms what God said in the scriptures long before the development of the atomic bomb. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. What a thing to think about. Terrible to think about actually. But the day will come this world is going to burn. Shall he find faith on the earth? My friends, yes, I believe he will find faith on the earth. Let's just look, flip back, and I'm going to give you a number of things that I believe Jesus is going to be looking for in his people when he returns. Chapter 1 of Peter, 
Beginning in verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy as I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect to person judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You and I, if we would be faithful at the coming of Jesus, Jesus is going to be looking for those who have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Look what he says. As he has called you to be holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. We have been, for as much as he you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Will he find faith on the earth? I say, yes, he will. There will be those that will be ascribing the Jesus Christ who have taken the Lamb by faith, who have realized that salvation and redemption is only through the Lamb, as we spoke about one evening this week. That's one of the things that needs to be there if we will be faithful when Jesus returns. There's some more things we want to look at. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3 again. We pick up some things. Holy conversation. Verse 11. Look what he says in verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all manner, all con holy conversation and godliness? Jesus will be looking for a people that are walking the talk, that are living the holy life. That's what he's going to be looking for. Those who have ascribed to salvation and redemption through the Lamb, through the blood of the Lamb. But they're also walking the talk. They're living the life. They're realizing that that means a transformed life. That means that we're following the disciple of, discipleship of Jesus Christ. We are His disciples. We will be walking in followers of Him. We will not shirk when he calls us to walk in the paths that he directs. God is calling us to walk in a holy conversation. Thirdly, looking for, looking for. And then he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for. Verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye Look for. The Bible says, one of the things that he says, it's going to come like a thief in the night. My friends, for the believer who is looking for, he's not going to come like a thief. But for those who are not looking for him, he's going to come like a thief. 
Believe me, I know what it's like to have a thief. I was in Kenya one time that we were in Kenya. Well, we, this just happened in Kenya while we were there. One night, we had a, a, a compound that was surrounded with thorn bushes and a chain link fence. But, uh, and we had to watch that fence because occasionally somebody wanted to come snip the chain link fence and we knew that when that happened, they were planning something. So we tried to keep the chain link fence, made, watch, keep an eye on the chain link fence. Anyway, this one particular night, we had a dog by the name of Boots. And that night, Boots was barking, and I could tell something's up. And I remember going out and to the kitchen, and from the kitchen I could look back a little hallway where we had what was called a servant's quarters. It was a rental place where we were renting. And as we, I looked back through the servant's quarter, to, toward that, through the hallway to the servant's quarters, I saw... Boots was over here. He was just barking, but he wasn't going back there. I knew something was up. And he was just doing his thing, and all of a sudden I saw somebody coming over. So there was a big wall here, about eight foot tall, back through here, walkway here, a little servant's quarters here. Someone comes up into the corner. He's got something in his hand, and he's throwing it across the wall. Had an accomplice on across the wall. Now, I'll tell you what, all your well-planned ideas of what you think you're going to do can just sort of, sometimes just sort of fly, fly out the wall, to fly out the window, whatever. I saw this man there, and I wasn't a very good Mennonite. I should have invited him in for supper or breakfast or something, but I didn't. I'll tell you what I did. I used my best preacher's voice. Get out of here! I'm going to tell you what, the man did a whoop, whoop, straight up over that wall. I was a thief. There's a feeling that goes with that. The surprise. You're not prepared. Thought we were. Why, we even had whistles in the house. Her plan was that if they, we actually had a siren on the house. It was our arrangement in the compound. There was about six of us families living in the compound. Flip the switch. The siren goes, and everybody in the compound comes flopping down, comes flying down there to see what's going on, and just the very presence of other people will make them go. Your best laid plans don't work at that time. But I'll tell you what, that feels bad when a thief takes you over, takes you by surprise. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. But I believe that's for those who are not looking for him. Had we been sitting up and looking for them, would have been no surprise. Would have been ready. Wouldn't have felt that way. But the fact that there was someone there and we were not looking for him, we were not ready, took us by surprise. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come and it's going to be like a thief in the night. But again, I say, it's only for those who are not looking for it. Shall he find faith? Yes, he will. Because there are going to be those that will be looking for his return. And I hope you will be one of those that is looking for his return. And then we have in verse, let's move on, be diligent. Be diligent, verse 
Huh. Why can't I get my eye on it? Verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Being diligent means you're paying mind. Without spot and blameless means that you're keeping up with your life. You're keeping in touch with the Word of God, and you're realizing that if there's a spot or something that I have aired this day, I'm going to take care of it. I want to be without spot and blameless when Jesus returns. We want to be exposed to the Word of God so that we can stay clean versus always getting clean. In the day we live, there's a lot of people that take a shower every day. I do mostly every day. I remember well when one shower a week was considered ample. Um, don't, don't ask me how it worked, but that's the way it was. In fact, there was an older person who had Threw his bath water, only to discover he drew it a bath, drew it a day early, and he said, oh, it's not today. So he let the water back down, never did take his bath till the next day. You see, there's a different mentality now than there was. But we have to have that mentality in our spiritual life, where we are staying clean versus getting clean. And I believe that's what God wants for us, and I think that's what he's talking about here in verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Sa Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Keep growing in grace. Keep growing in grace. Be steadfast so that you don't fall away. That is how. We look for the coming of the Lord. Are you going to be one of those that he will find faithful at his return? Then grow in grace. Be one that is steadfast, one that is looking into the word and keeping yourselves clean. And beware, lest ye also be led away with the air of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Stick to it. Be faithful to that which you know. Go to Matthew chapter 24. For just a little bit yet. 25, I'm sorry. We pick up a few pointers here. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 2 to 4. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those that were wise, foolish, took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Jesus is going to come looking for those who are faithful and he's looking for those who have oil in their lamps. You know the story. We're not going to go into it more. But in the time of Eli, his eyes had grown dim. His boys were not faithful. And the candlestick went out. And there was a time when the Philistines came and wanted to take over. 
and Israel was beaten in the battle, and they thought, oh, okay, let's take the Ark of the Covenant and go out there. So they took the Ark of the Covenant, and it still didn't help, and the Philistines overwhelmed them. You see, the light had gone out. Ichabod was what his daughter-in-law said when she gave birth to that child, when she got the news that her husband had died. Eli had fallen over and broken his neck, and he died, and the ark of God had been taken. The glory has departed. My friends, you are the light of the world. You're like a city upon the hill, and Jesus is wanting you to be that light, to hold forth that light. The glory is departed when the light isn't there. The power is gone when the light isn't there. Jesus is looking for those who are keeping their lamps burning. When the lamp is not burning, the power is also gone. I want to look at one point yet that I think is very, very important. Verse 31 of this chapter 25 of Matthew. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. I'm sorry, verse 19. Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of these servants cometh and reckoneth with them. It's the parable of the talents. He'd given them the talents, and the Lord of His servants comes and He reckons with them. My friends, Jesus is coming, and if he's going to find us faithful, he's going to have us faithful because we know we are going to give an account. We are going to give an account. Every one of us is going to give an account. Matthew chapter 12 says, Every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We will give an account. We need that mentality to keep us faithful. He is our creator, and he is going to demand, knowing what have you done with the talents that I have given to you? The one that had only one talent said, I was afraid. I hid my talent. He had a reason to be afraid, because he'd hid his talent. The one with five, the one with two, they were faithful. They said, here are your talents. We've added five more. We've added two more. Being faithful in what God has given to you. God is looking to stretch you in your life. There is no such thing as being static in a Christian life. We are constantly on the play, at the place where we need to be stretched. That's how the talent is developed. That's how the talent is used. It's not meaning that it's comfortable. But being at a place where we are stretched is good for us in our Christian life because it develops a dependency on our God for the strength that you and I don't have. Will he find faith on the earth? I believe he will. The words, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. What a reward. I love to hear that. 
But let's go to the book of Revelation, our final scripture. I want to pick up the scripture here. Just a few words. Book of Revelation. These are they, it says. Revelation chapter 7. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and crowd with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our Lord, our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in the white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. My friends, the life with Jesus Christ is not without tribulation. But my friends, if our lives have been washed and made white by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is strength, there is power, the power of the Holy Spirit to walk and to grow in our life in such a way that when Jesus returns, indeed, He will find faith on the earth. Some years ago, again in Kenya, there was a man there who was a good friend of mine who had contacted cancer. I remember going with some friends to the hospital and we were singing for him in his hospital bed. He was a weakened condition, skin and bones. And we asked him for which song he wanted us to sing. And he wanted us to sing, Pass Me Not, I'm a gentle Savior. Hear my humble grief. I cry. We sung that song very prayerfully. And I went to Brother Evan's side. I said, Brother Evan, just quietly, I communicate with him. Are you ready? Brother Evan said, I'm ready. There was nothing that needed to change. He was ready. One day, I want to be there. I want to see Evans again. I want to talk with him on the streets of gold. I want to walk with him. I just want to have a good time with him. We're going to see our Lord. But if I'm going to be there, I've got to be ready. When Jesus returns, will he find faith? I believe he will. Will you be among the faithful? I hope so. I want to see you there too. This has been a good week. You struck up friendships here. You've had some good times. And you're looking forward to more good times coming on. But my friends, one day, they're going to be something better in a Bible school. We can walk the streets of gold. We have those mansions, and we don't know, we don't have a clue what those mansions are like. We think a, a nice kitchen's a nice kitchen, but we don't need a kitchen up there. 
I don't know what those mansions are going to be like, but they're going to be better than anything you and I ever dreamed about. Jesus is looking for faithful people. When he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? I pray he will. And I pray you'll be one of them. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I didn't get to know you well here. We'll have lots of time to chat there. huh? I hope so. God is looking for a faithful people. I hope you'll be a model of those faithful. Brother Dwight.